picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Good morning, everyone. Sorry, I'll just um, I'll stand up next to you. That's fine. Okay. So my message this morning is titled "The Christ-Centered Life." Okay, yeah, it's up there. The Christ-Centered Life, and um, you know, I'll just start with a story. A few weeks ago, my sister and I were having a conversation on the phone, and she said to me that um, my nephew, her son, who's just 10, had been using her computer, her laptop, and um, when she went back to use her computer, she saw that he had been searching on Google. Remember, he's 10? He was searching the consequences of not attending your own graduation. And um, she was concerned, and she called him and said, Z, why are you searching for this? And he said to her, um, they were about to do their graduation from primary to secondary school, and he did not want to attend his graduation. He was a prize winner. He was winning several prizes, but he does not just do big social gatherings. And he was determined to find out if there were going to be no lasting consequences so he could avoid it. <laughs> well, they did allow him to stay home on the day. His sisters went, and um, the teacher said, we will send his prices to him later. But, you know, it got me thinking. I mean, I thought it was funny. My sister did not think it was funny because she wondered how far he would go if he would begin at 10 to avoid graduations and make sure he didn't have to go. She was worried about his social development. And I said to him, we are all different and it's nothing to be concerned about. And you can tell him, I did not attend my university graduation, let alone primary school. It has had no lasting consequences. Anyway, like him, we are mostly clear about what we want in our lives and many times we know what we need to do to avoid these things. But, you know, there are things you find out about yourself as time goes on. 
something I found out about myself during lockdown was that I, I am very much happy to be on my own, especially if I have family around me. And frankly, I did not much miss all the many social things that had to be canceled. I was happy to be indoors. I was happy to be at home. I was happy not to travel to my office, especially, and to have to work from home. But I found one thing that despite being happy to not have to go to all of these places, the one place I really wanted physically to be in was worship. It was the one thing that nothing could substitute for. No online thing was sufficient. Coming together in a place where people are praying aloud together, that was how I, when I became a Christian, that was the atmosphere of, of worship that I got to know. People in one space praying aloud at the same time. I miss things like that. Now, we saw our, the two Bible readings, the first one, Deuteronomy 6. I just want to look particularly, well, at verse 1, the very start, Deuteronomy 6, 1. It says, these are the commandments, the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are, you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Directed me. Emphasis on directed me. It's um, the way this message was brought to God's people by Moses, his servant. He was saying, the Lord said to tell you, it's a decree, it's a command, it's a law. You couldn't be more emphatic than that. Verse 5 of Deuteronomy and um, of, of Deuteronomy verse 6, similarly to verse 5 of John 15, our New Testament reading, there is something about them. So verse 5 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Something about these two verses is that they are all or nothing verses, literally. The Deuteronomy um, reading talks about loving God with all. And then the John verse says, without me, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's all or nothing. I want us to, in look, remembering these two verses, also remember the, um, John 10, 30, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I know in Deuteronomy, it was God, Jesus had not come, had not died for us. And so he was talking as God the Father. And then in John, this was Jesus talking. And he was saying, apart from me, I am the vine, you can do nothing. You know, I, I laughed when this morning, when I was getting ready for service and listening to TV, and I, we always do, and um, Leon Fontaine was actually, uh, was giving part of my message in his talk. It was about, you know, he was talking about two things, but one, the first one I'm going to talk about is about God 
who is the Father, who is Son, and who is Holy Spirit. So let's be clear that Jesus is God. And both verses refer to God who saved us by coming in the flesh as the Christ and indwelling in us as the Holy Spirit when we receive him. So the Christ-centered life is the God-centered life. I could have called this message the God-centered life, but I chose to call it the Christ-centered life. And that's because any message on God which is not focused on Christ is false. Christ is the difference. The God-centered life is the Christ-centered life. And this is the reason for the title of the message. But what is a center? A center can be described as, you know, a reference point from which all else is equidistant, equally distant, the very middle. Thus, everything else is measured against this point. A little to the right, a little to the left does not just cut it. It's got to be right there. I took Sharon to a hairdresser a f weeks ago, and um, she was making, having her hair braided. And this hairdresser was supposed to give her a part in the middle and then braid from there. She had done most of the hair before we realized that it wasn't quite in the center. Now, when we mentioned it, she would not accept it, um, but we didn't make much of it, we let it go. But we talked about it later. It's just not in the center. So you see, whenever Sharon looked at herself in the mirror, she would always see this hair is not quite in the center. That's trivial, but it's instructive. The center is just that. A millimeter off is not the center. Yesterday I was talking at the, um, at the launch, um, the community launch, and my topic was on our forever home, the forever home. And, you know, I talked about this from two points. One, that the forever home, which is in something we do, you know, when we say we're building this home where we're, we're going to stay until the end of our days, we call it our forever home. And I was talking about my people, the Igbo people of southeastern Nigeria, who do this as a matter of course. We will always have that home in our home village. And I also talked about it, but I was the, 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 the core of this message was actually about our forever home with the Lord. Now, I'm only mentioning this because when my father was building our forever home, he wasn't living there. He lived somewhere else where he worked. And he would visit occasionally to see what the workmen were doing. And he had a constant complaint. It's not straight. Whatever he saw, the lines are not, this pillar is not straight. This is not straight. Well, he got to find out so much later that the workmen had nicknamed him, it's not straight. He, well, he only found that out later. I mean, many times we don't know what people call us. I know someone who was called Rottweiler in church. I wonder if she has found out yet. Not this church, you'll be happy to know. But anyway, if we fault filled, flawed human beings as we are, are not satisfied with where lines are. We want to see things just straight. How much more do we think our Father 
who is without spot or wrinkle will not be able to spot when it's not straight. I read, we've read from two all or nothing passages of scripture. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And we have to put him in the center because he shapes our character. What we do repeatedly, I know I'm saying something everyone has heard several times before. What you do repeatedly becomes first a habit, then it forms our character. But that means that we've got to know who informs what we do repeatedly. He, is, he has to be our everything, the very essence of our being. That's what that verse is saying. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But why is it important? There was um, a saint, St. Augustine, incidentally a black saint many years ago. He said, our hearts are restless until it rests on him. He became a Christian through just thinking. He was one of those deep thinking people. And um, the more he thought about his life, he realized that nothing was right until he actually came to know God. Now, many times we talk about people being strong. Just how strong are you when things are difficult? If Jesus is not at the center, we fall apart so very easily. This is why it's important for him to be at the center. A person who is almost saved is no different from one who is not at all saved. As children of God, we need to know, we know that, we know the difference between when we were saved and when we are not. And so if we're drifting, we will know, we should know the difference too. When we were children, we had a, a, a saying, you know, when we're playing a game and um, maybe hopscotch or something, and you have to get something into a particular box, and someone throws a stone or whatever it is we're using, and it doesn't land in the box, and it's just in the line, it says, oh, you nearly got there. Then we would laugh and say, nearly cannot kill a bird, meaning you lost. It's not there. It's simply not there. There are no two ways around it. We all have that God-centered hole that nothing can fill. And this is why those who seemingly have everything lack peace without Jesus. Peace belongs to him. Peace comes from him. This is why it is important. He does not have our human frailties, but he understands them. Because he's come in the flesh, he's been where we've been. He's walked through the, the path we've walked through. He understands our pain. We need to know him. We need to honor him. We can't just want to have answers from him, get things from him. If he is at the center, he becomes our yardstick for measuring everything else. And we stop focusing on our flaws. That's the interesting thing. He is perfect. But that does not mean we become fixated in the things we don't do well. When you focus on him, your flaws will cease to have that power over you. You get over yourself, so to speak. I never used to listen to myself sing. I didn't want to hear recordings or, or anything. But when I did, all I heard were the flaws. All I heard were the notes that were not right. 
all I heard were the places that, were not, that did not sound right. But focusing on self leads to self-destruction. It doesn't lead to anything good. We need to focus on him. I was reading just about a week ago, um, recent research by UCL, University College London, and they found that there has now been evidence that chemical imbalance is not the cause of depression. I was sharing this information with my children, and I was saying to them, can you imagine? So the discussion, the conversation right now is, the whole thing about increase of serotonin, the loss of it, the lack of it, and all of that, all wrong. Treatment has been wrong for many years. Can you imagine that? Also, another very recent finding is that mindfulness does not actually have the positive impact on young people in school that it was touted to have. All those mindfulness sessions, that were, some schools were almost making them compulsory. My children's school began to do mindfulness. I had to say to them, no, I will not have my children in a mindfulness class. This is Hinduism being brought in under the radar. My children have a right to say no. But I'm sharing this because it just shows the inaccuracy of man, how we can build whole empires on falsehood because we're not perfect. There is only one who is. So treatment and, 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 and practice are being based on inaccuracies, on half knowledge. Only one, one person who requires us to place him at the center is always right, infallible. If he is at the center, you will avoid the situation described in 2 Corinthians 10.2, which I'll read. It says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Now, this is a situation where we are blind to our own faults, but every other person's fault looms large. Everybody else has a problem but myself. I can see where they got it wrong. I can never really see myself wrong. So it's either I'm fixated on my fault or on other people's faults. That's not the mindset of Jesus. If we put him at the center, he takes us away from that. He helps us to focus on the right things. If he is at the center, you will not be afraid to look foolish as you serve him in sincerity. The prophet Nathan was open to God. If we remember the story, when King David said to him, after he had fought all these wars and there was suddenly peace, and he said to Nathan, I want to build the Lord a house. How can his ark dwell in a, in a tent whilst I live in a palace? And Nathan said, that is good. That is what the Lord wants you to do. But Nathan went away, and the same night, God spoke to Nathan and said, no, David's hands have shed too much blood. He's not the one to build me a house. His son who come after him will build me a house. Following day, Nathan goes to David and says, this is what the Lord says. He was not afraid to seem foolish because he would have thought, some of us could overthink it, my goodness. This man has relied on me as the priest of God. And I said to him last night, God wants you to do that. But Nathan would rather listen to God than look right. How many times do we just want to win arguments? 
sound smart, look right, like the person who knows it all, more interested in coming out on top than doing the right thing, than being truthful, than allowing the other person to see that we have got flaws and faults and got it wrong on this occasion. It tears people apart, it tears families apart, it tears churches apart, it tears nations apart. Nathan was not afraid because he was centered on God and God could only speak to Nathan because Nathan had an open heart, a heart centered on God so he could hear the truth and David took the truth. That was whom David was as well, the man after God's own heart. If he is at the center, you will do well. Deuteronomy says, it says, you know, it says as much. Just looking at verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Having him at the center opens the doors. We don't have to struggle. So how? How do we put him at the center? Worship with thanksgiving. For me, it comes first. Really spending time in his presence. Not just asking for things, but honoring him with our full attention. Daily personal worship experience is a lot more important than the occasional big moment. Sometimes we are seeking those big moments, the signs, the wonders, the, the big things. But the daily thing, water and bread, the simple things. You cannot survive on having caviar once a year. It may cost a lot more than that one meal, than the many meals, a month's meals. But it's not going to keep you alive. We need that daily, simple time of just worshiping him to keep him at the center and to survive. It's important, he is the branch. He is the vine, rather, we are the branches. Joyce Meyer said that it is important that we have a tender conscience. This just means that we, we, we can grow thick skin to whatever happens around us, but our conscience needs to be tender to God. So we worship him with that open heart and open conscience, and then he is able to continually speak to us. I'll just read verse 7 of John 15, one of our, uh, the, uh, our other reading for the day. Verse 7 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. It is not just remaining in him. It says, my words remain in you. The and is important. The words of God are important. Studying this word is important to helping us remain in the center. Reading it, studying it, meditating on these words. And then having a teachable spirit so that God can minister truth to us consistently and build us to become more like Christ daily. Our spirits need to be teachable. And the two verses, a key thing that comes up in both places, love. Love for God, love for everyone. That was the other thing that Leon Fontaine was talking about this morning that made me smile. Love for God and love for all. It is key to having him at the center. 
we can't always have that, you know, barrier between us and people. Always having, we've we've labeled everyone and, you know, you and you and you. I'm just not friends with you. You are this and you are this and you are the other. It's not love. And when we have all of those things, Jesus is not, cannot be at the center. He requires us to be in that place of forgiveness. And that's what keeps him there, at the center. And then we have to ask him. Ask him. You know, the, ma- the man, uh, there's this man in uh, Mark 9, 24, the man who had a sick child. And the Lord was asking, he wanted the Lord to, to heal his child. And the Lord said to him, do you believe? And the, and the man gave a very honest answer. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It was a simple, Lord, I, I, with my head, I believe. But the things I'm seeing, the circumstances around me, this child's sickness, the symptoms are making it a really shaky belief. Help me to get there. So if you're struggling, just ask him. It's a simple thing. Just say to him, Lord, I am struggling to keep you at the center. All of these things are trying to take your place. Help me. It's an honest prayer. He will help. That is how we do it. Honor him with what you have, your substance. Look, we could waste so much time and energy disparaging the prosperity preachers. But frankly, it's your call. Do you want to give to the Lord? It's up to you. You can, we could spend so much time talking about the, and, and you know, American prosperity preachers on whatever country, prosperity, Nigerian prosperity preachers. You could spend all of that time. But the point is, where is your substance in your worship? It's a personal choice. It's up to us. It is not about perfection. Keeping him at the center is not about perfection. It's about recognition that he needs to be there, loving him, and commitment to him being there. And he will honor our commitment to him. So finally, when Jesus is at the center of our hearts, we will struggle less. Just look at the readings. There are so many promises in those two readings. So many. We will struggle less. The Lord told the church that was neither hot nor cold that he would spit them out of his mouth. It just shows clearly, I do not accept things that are off-center. I want to be there. That's who I am. I don't take half measures. And that was the Revelations 3, 15 to 16, if you want to read it up. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That's what the Lord said. So, just having him at the center gives joy. Are you lacking joy? Just ask him, put him at the center. His his being there brings the joy. And if if there is a struggle, just worship. Just worship him. He he is able to bring all good things and transform our very lives. Let's just begin by enthroning him in our lives. He is the center of our lives. He ought to be at the center. And 
like I said, you know, if, if you are not sure and if it becomes difficult, just ask. He, 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 he says the contrite heart, the tender conscience is the other way, the way Joyce Meyer put it. He does not despise. And so this is the end of the message. It's just saying today, if you're not sure of where you've put him, his position in your life, is it time to say, Lord, like that man, I do believe you should be at the center, but help me, help my unbelief, the things that have taken your place, but please take your place at the center. There is a song I love, and I'll end with this song. And if you want to, you can just stand up and we just, just lift your hands to him. And if there is anything that is um, still in your joy, just, just let him take it. It might still be there. It's not gone away. But if you say to him, just take it, you are the center of my joy. Just allow him to do a work of restoration of taking away the things that have taken his place and restoring your joy as you put him in the center. So let's, if you know it, you can sing with me. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. You can rise up if you want to. You can sit down if you prefer. Just your choice. And so, Lord, we thank you because you know the yearnings of our hearts. Father, you know where we want you to be. We want the fullness of your presence in our hearts. And if anyone is not sure, Lord, speak to them at this moment and help them to see you for whom you are. You give good things. You give perfect things. You make our lives right. We don't need to strive or to struggle. If we let you take your place in the very center of our hearts, and our joy is centered on you so that the things that have become joy stealers will lose their power over our lives. And so I come against right now in the mighty name of Jesus, every depressive spirit, every oppressive spirit. And I decree in Jesus' name that as we let the Holy Spirit take control of our very lives and our hearts, our souls, that the joy of the Lord will reign again and be our strength as he is the center of our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all the good things you do. And may our week be joy-filled as we center on you. In Jesus' name, amen.